Hey friends, welcome back to the Mavericks and Misfits podcast. This is Jeff. Forgive my voice. I'll give you that right at the beginning. The pollen season has uh, victimized me. Um, I am inhaling daily yellow snow, floating particles in the air in my home state of Georgia. So I sound like I have eaten a cup of gravel for breakfast and you'll just have to apologize. Uh, excuse me. I'll apologize. You'll just have to forgive me. And um, let's just roll today. I want to get right into the podcast today. You know, if you've been listening, um, that two of my last probably four podcasts have really been focusing on the topic of women in ministry. This was based off of a primary email I got from a friend named Micaiah. He said, Jeff, we're in our 20s. We're really struggling with a complementary and egalitarian issue. One preacher we love says women can preach. Another preacher, another preacher or pastor we love says no way women cannot do that. We just want to know what the Bible says. And so I've taken two of my last four podcasts and we'll do this one today and at least probably one or two more on this topic of women in ministry. If you didn't listen to last week's podcast, you'll really be helped if you just press pause on this one and go back to listen to last week's podcast on the big picture of women in ministry. What does the Bible say about the daughters of God? And um, what, what's the biblical big picture of how God uses women? And um, is there legitimacy in the idea that women can be used in almost every role or for some of you, every single role that a man can be used in in uh, the New Testament church. And so I gave you some big picture sketched out thoughts of what I believe, why I believe them in the last episode. And you'll be helped if you go back and listen to that before you listen to today. But for those of you that did listen last week, let me just launch into what we're doing. And just as a brief reminder, for me, this is a very, very, very important issue, but it is not an issue that I would break fellowship over with people that disagree with me. Sadly, people have broken fellowship with me over this. People have left um, the previous church I was at. They left over it because I validated women in certain forms of ministry that they believed were uh, not available to them biblically. And so with their biblical convictions, the way they viewed a couple of primary passages, specifically 1 Timothy 2, verses 11 through 15, And then a couple of things that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, they said, Jeff, um, you're wrong. This is bad doctrine. We're out of here. And I hate that because um, while it's a very, very important issue, it's not, there's very few theological issues that will cause me to walk away and break fellowship with a believer over. You start messing with the deity of Jesus, the humanity of Jesus, the atonement, the blood, you know, Christological elements of our faith if you if you if you're tweaking those you and I can't because I don't believe that that there's brotherhood in that if you don't get Jesus right you're not a Christian and so those areas I hold strongly but issues like the gifts of the Holy Spirit or uh, modes of baptism or, or where, what your views are on the Lord's Supper or you know denominational stuff I, I don't break fellowship over that and I would never break fellowship over um, somebody that thinks um, from the you know hardline complementarian view that says women you know can't speak in church, they can't preach, they can't teach, and they can't lead. I, I disagree with you, but you're my brother, you're my sister, and so I want to talk today on this issue, knowing for me that it's not something that I think we should run from each other on, but it is stuff that. 
good people that love Jesus disagree on. And so I'm only responsible for explaining. And I do think I'm accountable. I think I'm accountable to my listening audience, the people I pastor, the people I have pastored, people that, you know, I've had the privilege of influencing in the kingdom. I think it's fair that you know where I stand on this and why. Um, I, I love the fact that, you know, I'm not the first guy that's tackled this. And this is not a new issue, and it's probably not going to go away unless, you know, wholesale revival breaks out and God thunders in an um, an unmistakable way through some outpouring at a level where the daughters of God are validated at a high level that convince even the skeptics. If that doesn't happen in our lifetime, then this debate will go on after our lifetime. Pardon me. <clears throat> And so what I want to do is I just want to give you, you know, my thoughts on this. I, I found a quote from A.W. Tozier, who my guess is, is that he would be a pretty hardcore complementarian. He's dead and he's in heaven. He's just amazing man of God. You ought to read Tozier's books, T-O-Z-E-R, A.W. Tozier. Just buy his books and read them and you'll be blessed. And, but he had, I don't think he would agree with me on all my points, but he did give a great quote. It's a little long, but let me just start out by saying this. This is what A.W. Tozier wrote. He said, it might be a humbling experience for some of us men to be allowed to see just how much of the lasting spiritual value is being done by the women of the churches. As in the days of his flesh, Christ still has now devout women who follow him gladly and minister unto him. The masculine tendency to discount these elect ladies does not speak too well for the male members of the spiritual community. A little humility might better become us and a bit of plain gratitude as well. If prayer is, as we believe it is, an integral part of the total divine scheme of things and must be done if the will of God is to be done, then the prayers of the thousands of women who meet each week in our churches is of inestimable value to the kingdom of God. More power to them and may their number increase tenfold. So I like the fact that Tozier, who is probably a complementarian, even in his complementarianism, and that just simply means the, the line of thought in the church that says men do certain things, women do certain things, and those two roles complement each other, but they don't overlap. Even in Tozier's complementarian views, he's still saying to men, hey, don't you dare discount the value of women. And where a lot of guys would say, oh, yeah, sure, the daughters of God can can pray. But there's still that edge, man. There's still that edge that'll, you know, like we're doing them a favor by acknowledging that women can pray in church. And there's still that, that I just call it a, a chauvinistic edge where it's just machissimo. Where, where guys just kind of use use their views of the Bible just to suppress women. And listen, even if you're a complementarian, don't cross the line into devaluing the women of God who are, who are made in the image of God and equipped and gifted by the Spirit of God. There's no female Holy Spirit. He's the Holy Spirit. Same Holy Spirit lives in you, brother, lives in every single one of the daughters of God. And so whereas you might disagree about the expression of what the Holy Spirit does between men and women, be real careful that you do a heart check and just just go ahead and you know be a little self-suspicious. Say, man, am I moving in an attitude that is more oppressive than affirming? Even as I disagree with you know Jeff and his views on women in ministry, but do I have any heart that that would seek to keep women down for for anything you know any any reason that may may not be of God? Just consider that. Let me uh, 
let me give you a couple of things here, man. I think this would be important um, in, in reading some of these verses that are important to me. I think one of the biggest challenges for me um, is what do I do with Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29? I mentioned in the last podcast that we have to figure out what verses on this topic in the Bible fall into the group of control verses and those that fall into the group of variable verses. Now, all of the word of God is the authority of God, but which verses primarily define the role of women and which verses are variants of that. So in other words, that's why I gave the big picture. I showed you in the last podcast, this is what the overall word of God displays about how God chooses and uses women in kingdom ministry. And Joel 2 verses 28 and 29 for me is is a control verse. Um, It doesn't mean the other ones don't need to be considered, but I believe that some of the New Testament, the two or three New Testament passages that complementarians use to say women cannot lead, preach, or teach in, in the church, I think that they have to be considered in the light of Joel chapter two, because this is a prophecy that spans the entire end of the age, which began at Pentecost. Peter declared in Acts two that Joel two began to be fulfilled on the day of Pentecost and that it will go throughout the end of the age, which you and I are still living in. So Joel, if you're not familiar with Joel two, 28, 29, God is speaking. So these are God's words, and they're written down. So we have to we have to give like high honor not only to the Word of God, but to God who is giving words. And this is what He said: "It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy." Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Now, we're not here to talk about the dudes because I don't think nobody questions whether or not men can preach. So I'm not even dealing with that part of Joel too. But I ask myself when I read my Bible, why did God not just say I'm pouring out my spirit on all flesh? But he said, the effects of me pouring out my spirit on all people, that's what he's saying, all people, all of humanity, redeemed humanity, he's pouring out his spirit. So this is an unusual thing. God's saying, this is a differentiating mark. I am pouring out my spirit. I'm not simply sealing you with the Holy Spirit. I'm not simply filling you with the Holy Spirit, but this is an outpouring of the Spirit. And he connects that outpouring with his daughters prophesying all throughout the end of the age. My daughters will prophesy. And then he, if that, if that wasn't enough, he not only deals with the male and female issue, he deals with the class issue. He, he says not only on sons and daughters, but also on servants. And that would have been a distinction of class in the time that Joel was written. So he's saying, but it's going to be the male and female slave. So it's almost as if God's saying to us, hey, I want you to know it's not going to be just the men. I want you to expect, anticipate, and validate that at the end of the age, when I pour out my spirit, the effect is it's going to hit the women and they're going to speak for me. They're going to prophesy. Some might wonder, what is... Well, let's talk, Jeff, prophesying is different than preaching and teaching. And okay, well, let's just go there. 
because I know that argument exists. In Joel 2, the word prophesy is a, is a Hebrew word. It's niba, niba. And what does that word mean? Well, you know, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I do have some incredibly uh, helpful <laughs> Hebrew resources. And the scholars say that the word niba means to bubble up. It means to pour forth words abundantly, to reveal or declare the words of God to others. And then we find out that the true prophet is called and commissioned by God to publicly proclaim what God communicates to them. That's the meaning of the Hebrew word niba, to publicly proclaim what God is communicating. And, it, and it's described in such a way that it bubbles up from within and that it pour, pours forth abundantly outwardly. And the result is that the person is revealing or declaring the words of God to other people. I call that preaching. I call it prophecy too, but it, it, there's, there's not a, a clear line of demarcation between prophesying and preaching. It means you hear God and you speak what he says. That is preaching. When, when Paul, excuse me, when Peter uses this word in Acts chapter two, because he quotes this, and of course the Old Testament written primarily in Hebrew, New Testament in Acts 2, written primarily in Greek. And so there's a different word there used. And so the Greek word in Acts 2, where, where Peter is quoting Joel 2, is the Greek word prophetuo. Prophetuo. You can hear the word prophet in that. Prophetuo. And it means this, to proclaim God's message, to preach, to prophesy, to predict, to speak God's message intelligibly to use prophetic insights to make something known. This is the Greek definition of prophetuo. And so, and it also means to expound scripture. It's used that way. And to speak under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And so this is my, I guess my amazement. I don't know that we're going to get too much further off of this point in this podcast. But my amazement is that we just, with just like a dismissive hand, we just say, no, women can't preach. I mean, it's just like because of 1 Timothy 2, which I'm going to deal with. I'm going to deal with that. I'm building a bigger case so that you look at the variable verses like 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 15, where Paul says, I, I do not permit a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over a man. And that's th that one verse primarily is the verse where people say, there you go. Women cannot preach, teach, lead. They, they cannot lead. They cannot have authority. And, and it's a complete um, lack of studying out what that means. Like when you get, here's a Bible study a technique or a, a, a priority for you guys that take the word of God seriously. Most verses, you don't have to dig deep into the Greek or the Hebrew and mine out verb tenses and overanalyze context. Most of the Bible is very plainly written to understand easily. But when we get into highly debated and divisive passages or topics, like we're talking about right now, women in ministry, you can't just read the English rendering of a verse and just blow it off and say, there you go. Like we owe a debt of love to one another. When we're talking about potentially silencing and removing kingdom influence and authority for more than half of the body of Christ, women then you have to say, hold on a second, slow down. What did the actual original writing say? Is there any nuance that has been altered or lost in the English translation from the Greek or the Hebrew or the Aramaic in other portions of the Old Testament? So when most like 
most of the time I don't, I don't do big, deep, long word studies, but when I'm recognizing this is actually a divisive issue in the body of Christ and we have to let the word of God define it. And when there is seeming conflict, like we, we seem to have Paul saying in one place, the women, I'll, perhaps if I have time, I'll get to that passage today in first Corinthians 14, Paul saying women prophesy in the church. And then a few verses later, he says, I don't allow them to teach. I don't allow them to speak. And so it's almost like Paul must be schizophrenic because in one chapter, you know, chapter 11, he's saying women can prophesy. And then in chapter 14, he's saying that no, no women can speak. So right there, you know, the Bible doesn't contradict itself, but it's incumbent upon us to say, what is he actually saying in both places? And what is the, the extraction of the understanding that we're supposed to get? So we see clearly in Joel 2 and Acts chapter 2 that at the end of the age, it is undeniable that God says, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon women and they're going to preach. They're going to prophesy. They're going to bubble up. They're going to spill forth abundantly the words that I put within them. And then in the Greek version of prophetuo, you find that part of that word is to expound scripture. That means they're going to speak authoritatively with the word of God. And so when I see that, I'm like, I can't just ignore that and say, but hey, 1 Timothy 2, chapter, chapter 2, 11 through 15 says, I suffer not a woman to teach, which by the way, isn't even an imperative. It isn't even a command. It's not written in command form. Paul didn't say, don't let women teach. Paul said, I am not permitting a woman to speak. That's the Greek verb tense. That's the actual language of that verse. I am not now permitting a woman to speak nor to usurp authority over the man. And that usurping authority part is the main priority that I'm going to deal with in an entire podcast. I'm going to take that verse and deal with it in an entire podcast. So let's just go on a little bit. Y'all with me? I get fired up about this, not because I'm mad, but because I feel the Lord on it. I'm like, oh my goodness, I am, I'm actually correcting error by the word of God. I'm, I have the potential here, if you will receive it, to slow you down in your premature conclusions as the result of those premature conclusions is to dismiss, potentially dismiss what God says he will do with women at the end of the age. Isn't the fear of the Lord on that for some of you? Don't you fear the Lord that you might be believing or thinking or teaching or propagating something that actually violates the heart of God as revealed in scripture because you're seizing one verse and framing your entire belief system around one verse that is not submitted to the context of the overall teaching of scripture. Golly, man. I mean, that's what people do in a lot of areas. They take one verse out of context from what the rest of scripture says, and they come up with erroneous beliefs. And there are ramifications and consequences to our poorly framed beliefs. People get crushed by them. And I'm thinking if God says at the end of the age, he's going to pour out his spirit on women and preach, but then church leaders are saying, "Uh, uh, uh, ain't no woman going to talk up in this place. And a woman going to speak on behalf of the Lord. Are you, man, I mean, that, that just seizes me. I get gripped because I'm going to stand before Jesus. You are too. So is your pastor. So is your leader. So is every theologian. And, and James, the book of James tells us, don't desire to be teachers because we have the stricter accountability. Don't miss that. We have a stricter accountability as teachers. That means I'm going to give... I'll have more intense scrutiny placed on me at the judgment of Christ because I occupied the role of a leader, a teacher, and an influencer by my words. And so I, I honestly, if you're upset with me about this stuff or you disagree with me or you just, you know, Jeff's a heretic, whatever, um, I, I don't care. Like, I love you, 
But I, I, I guess I do. I care what you think, but I will not be controlled by what you think. I will be controlled by the idea that I'm going to stand and give an account, and you are too. You're going to give an account for your words. You're going to give an account for what you taught. You're going to give an account for what you believed. You're going to get an account for what you dismissed. You're going to give an account. And so I don't want to stand before Jesus and Jesus say to me, Jeff, why did you completely ignore the whole of scripture and only look at 1 Timothy 2 verses 11 through 15 when you decided that women could not speak to me when I said at the end of the age, my spirit would be poured out. And the result is that women are going to prophesy. Golly, I just wish people get the fear of God on that. Let me give you this, Titus, the book of Titus. Titus chapter two is a great book because I think it, it is, the, is great counterbalance because I do think that the egalitarian movement, I think the women's liberation movement in America, I think the destruction of the nuclear family, the biblical view of family, let me clear my throat, hold on. <clears> throat> the, the destruction of the biblical view of family by the American culture in the 20th and 21st century, um, I... I think that that it's gone a little too far and that women hate the idea that their primary sphere of influence is the home. I don't mind telling you that. I do believe that for the vast majority of women, the primary influence in the kingdom that they are given jurisdiction over is the heart of the home. Be what they are to their husbands, what they are to their children. And ladies, let me be fair. You're going to give an account for that. You may have all the gifting in the world. You may have supernatural gifting. You may be a prophet. You may be a intercessor. You can be a preacher, a leader, but you will give an account for how you prioritize that element of the home. So please hear me on that. And so when I get to Titus chapter two, it's a great balance because it talks to women about how they're, what their part of their role is in the church. So let me just give you this in Titus two, verse three. This is Paul's instruction. So these are instructions. These are imperatives. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior. Okay? Not slanderers. Not slaves to wine. That means you can't be sitting around, you know, drinking all the time. You got to have be reverent and dignified in your behavior. That's, that's the older women. And then it says they are to teach. Hmm. They, the older women, are to teach. They're to teach what is good. And here's part of their teaching. So train the young women to love their husbands and children. So the older women are to teach the younger women to love their husbands and love their children. I always kind of chuckle at that. <laughs> Guys, women have to be trained to love us. <laughs> they have to be trained to love us because we're, we're often difficult to love. And children sometimes can be difficult to love in the way that God wants them to love because they're little savages that always want what they want. And children by nature are selfish until they are born again. So they, they place high demand on the young mothers. And then, then the women, older women are to be self-controlled. They're to be pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. So don't dismiss that. For all you egalitarians out there, you women, they're saying, yeah, Jeff is preaching on the role of women in ministry. Hallelujah. Don't forget your ministry at home. If you're single, you need to go ahead and embrace this. If you don't have a family of your own yet, as far as a husband and children, you need to get prepared for this because this is a major part of your assignment. And I would even go so far as to say, if you sacrifice this part of your assignment to do external church or kingdom ministry, you're out of balance. You're out of balance. 
Because there are a lot of women in the kingdom that can, for a season, preach and teach, but there's only one mom that's going to raise your kids. And there's only one wife that your husband has. And the Bible is very clear, ladies, that ministry in the home is extremely important. And that is not clipping your wings. That is actually aligning you with a major part of your assignment. So very often a woman who is called to preach, missionary, prophesy, intercede, teach, whatever it is, she often has to lay down that gifting and calling at, from outside of her home and focus sometimes for up to 20 years on raising her kids. And then at a later date, she can resume that outward form of ministry. But listen, I'll just be honest with you over the years when, when I see women that are going hard after external ministry into the world and the kingdom, into the mission field and all this stuff. And I look at their kids and their husband, and I know by the faces of their kids and their husband that she's not pulling her weight at home. I won't promote that woman. Uh, that, I hope that doesn't sound haughty, but in my, my role as a pastor, I can't promote somebody into a realm of negligence. And so there's got to be an awareness. But the point I was wanting to make on this, I'm so not going to get done with my notes today. I've got about 10 more minutes. But um, the older women are to teach. Now, I don't want to just isolate that, but we know right away. When Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach, it's not a universal thing for a woman not to be able to speak with biblical authority, with kingdom authority to release wisdom. Now, a lot of people say, well, Jeff, yeah, the context is that she's supposed to just teach the women to uh, the younger women. Okay, I get that's the context in Titus chapter two, but is that the only context in which a woman can teach in the word of God? And the answer to that is a big old fat whopping no. That's not the only context. And that is poor exegesis of scripture. If you take Titus two and you say, ha ha, there it is. She can only teach the women. Guys, that's not what it says. There's not an imperative in the word of God that ever says a woman can only teach women. It's just not there. It's that she is to teach women, but not only women. You can't take something that is indicative. This is an indicative issue that, that Titus is clearly saying the women are to teach. It's an imperative in Titus too, but it's an indicative of the kingdom. Yeah, women are teachers of other women, but you don't turn it into an isolated imperative. You can't say because in Titus 2, they teach women that everywhere else, that's all they can do because that's not expressed in scripture. That limitation is not expressed in scripture. You say, well, Jeff, wait a minute. First Timothy 2 says she can't have authority over a man. Nope, I'm going to deal with that. And that is the English wording and it is incomplete because the word authority there in First Timothy, in that passage, just read First Timothy 2, 11 through 15. When it says, Paul says that she can't have authority over a man, it's the only time that word, that Greek word is used in the New Testament. Paul usually uses the word exousia. That's the Greek word for authority in the New Testament. And this time he uses the word authentin, authentin, which is a Greek word used nowhere else in the Bible. And in extra biblical literature, that Greek word authentin is describing a violent seizing of authority. It is a dominant taking what doesn't belong to you. And so what Paul is saying in 1 Timothy 2 is, I don't allow a woman to rise up and seize in a domineering way authority that belongs to a man. Now, I'm going to deal with that more fully later, so I don't have time to unpack it, but I just want to put that in there right now because we're, I, I just need you to get the understanding that there is nowhere in Scripture a imperative prohibition that says a woman can only teach women and cannot teach men. 
And let me give you an example. You know the name Priscilla. You know the name Achilla. They're a husband and wife. They're actually Priscilla, the wife, Achilla, the husband. They're mentioned several times in the New Testament. And what you're going to find is when they're mentioned together, Priscilla is almost always mentioned before her husband. And when you see that pattern in the New Testament, it usually indicates a higher level of influence in the kingdom. And so when we hear of Achilla and Priscilla or Priscilla and Achilla, listen to this from Acts 18. This is extremely important because this is a case in the New Testament where Achilla and Priscilla are ministering together and they come across a man named Apollos. Now, this is what the Bible says in Acts 18, 24. A Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures, competent in the Torah, in the Old Testament scriptures. Verse 25, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla first and Achilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now that's reading from Acts 18 verses 24 through 26. So let me break it down for you. So Apollos is described under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is how the Holy Spirit wanted him described. An eloquent man who was competent in the scriptures. He had a good, solid, working knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord Jesus, so he knew the gospel. He was fervent in spirit, so he was passionate. He spoke and taught accurately, so he was informed and skilled at teaching concerning Jesus. But where Apollos was lacking is he didn't understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He only understood the baptism of John the Baptist. And so when Achilla and Priscilla, who were underneath his teaching, when he came to Ephesus, he spoke in the synagogues. They recognized his anointing. They recognized his scriptural skill. They recognized and validated his calling. But when they heard him being off on the baptism of John, what did they do? They took him aside. That means she and he, she and her husband were proactive to take Apollos aside and they explained to him the way of God more accurately. Guess what that is? Instruction. Guess who's mentioned first? Priscilla. And if you want to, you go ahead, you go right ahead. I'm sorry, I'm being challenging here, a little provocative. Um, You go right ahead and just say, well, no, it was Achilla that did it. Priscilla just sat there and quietly and watched. You can't say that and be true to the scriptures. The Bible's very clear that they shared this ministry. And it's not the only time, by the way, that Priscilla is mentioned. We find out later on that she was very influential. The same man that wrote 1 Timothy 2.11 and, and through 15 and said, I don't permit a woman to uh, teach and to have authority over a man. That same man, the Apostle Paul, is the same one who validated the ministry of Priscilla. Now, if, if women were not allowed to instruct, were not allowed to teach men, were not allowed to speak with any kind of teaching authority, if, then wouldn't Paul say, hey, I can't believe Priscilla had the audacity to try to teach a man. Doesn't she know that I don't allow that? And just so you know, Ephesus is where Priscilla and, and Achilla were ministering to Apollos. Ephesus is the same city that Timothy was in when Paul wrote the letter to for, the letter of 1 Timothy. 
This is all happening in the same church. The church at Ephesus is addressed here in Acts 28, and it is addressed in Paul's letters to Timothy. Timothy was the leader or a leader in the church of Ephesus. So we don't have apples and oranges here, and we've got to be true to the scriptures. I'm going to give you this last thing, and then I'm gone. I'm, I got, I'm a little over, but give me this last thing. In 1 Corinthians 11.5, I just want you to get this. Paul, again, same writer, says, Every woman who or wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. That's speaking of her husband. Since it is the, is, is the same as if her head were shaven. I'm going to deal with this more fully later. Why do I even bother bringing it up now with two minutes to go? Because the same one who said, I don't permit a woman to teach. The same one in the same letter, 1 Corinthians eleven five says that let the woman learn in silence or quietness. And if she has any questions, she could talk to her husband at home. That's another one that people use saying, therefore, ha ha, women can't speak in church. But he's the same guy that, that validates a woman praying. How do you pray in the church without verbalizing your prayer? He's talking about verbal prayers. And if, if you don't agree with that, okay, well, fine. I'll, I won't die on that hill. What about prophesying? You don't prophesy silently. Prophesying always involves a verbal release of words on behalf of God. So Paul validated women prophets. And so the idea that Paul mandated that women cannot speak on behalf of God in churches is wrong. It's wrong because he can't require them to be silent and not speak or teach with any authority. And then at the same time, tell them that they need to cover their head. It was a cultural thing. Cover your head when you prophesy. He can't say you can't prophesy, but when you do prophesy, here's what you need to do. Don't you get it? So at the very most, and I'm done today, at the very, at the very least, that should slow us down and say, oh, this thing's not as cut and dry as a hardcore complementarian view might, might show us. There's at least room for the complementarian to say, as he or she studies the word of God on this topic, to say, oh, man, I've been dogmatic at this thing on level 10. I'm, I'm wondering if I ought not slow down, do some research, seek the heart of the Lord on this, and maybe adjust my beliefs. That's all I'm asking in this podcast. I'm asking you to consider what I'm saying. I'm asking you to understand why I believe what I believe. And I'm asking you to, to really consider the enormity of Joel 2 and Acts 2, which makes a, 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 it covers the entire panorama of the end of the age. God says, I will be continually pouring out my spirit. I will be continuing to empower and embolden my daughters, women in the kingdom, to bubble up, speak forth abundantly the words that I give them, to prophesy, to predict, to preach, and to proclaim the written word of God. Lots to think about. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, I want to let you know, I have re, uh, rejoined Twitter. If you're on Twitter, um, I left Twitter a year ago because it was toxic, and I'm hoping that with new ownership with Elon Musk, it might actually become a free speech forum again. And uh, so I'm back on Twitter. I have a new handle. I deleted, I think I had like 9,000 followers. I just made a clean break, got rid of my former account, and I'm now on there with a brand new account that won't be poisoned by followers that 
you know, just hate, hate, hate the Lord. Um, I am now on there as word spirit guy. I know it sounds a little corny, but that's my handle on Twitter at Ward Spirit Guy. Follow me on Twitter. Check out Mavericks, MaverickMisfit.com, MaverickMisfit.com for archived um, uh, episodes of the Mavericks and Misfits podcast. And don't forget, you can always get lengthy teaching by video um, on um, TransformingTruth.org or Transforming Truth on YouTube. The best way to access this podcast and all my stuff I put out is to download the free Transforming Truth app. Get the Transforming Truth app and take advantage of all the resources there. Hey, if you want to help me out, you want to be an encouragement and support me, um, pick up a copy of my book, Figuring It Out As I Go. You can buy it anywhere, Amazon, any book retailer. Or if you want a autographed copy, I will send that to you if you order it off of Transforming Truth. The book is called Figuring It Out As I Go, and you can help support me and this ministry as you do that. Listen, we never ask you to contribute to Mavericks and Misfits. This goes to you. The only thing I do ask you to do is take two minutes of your time. I know you're busy. Take two minutes of your time. Leave a review and a rating wherever you listen to this podcast, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Do us a favor and leave us a review. It actually helps us to reach more people with the podcast. And that's the only thing I ever ask you to do. Time's way over with, I think, 37 minutes. I hear the music. So that's my time to say goodbye. Thanks for putting up with my gravelly voice. And we'll talk to you next time. We're happy you were able to tune in today. You can help us reach more people by rating and reviewing Mavericks and Misfits on whatever platform you use to listen to today's podcast. Connect with Jeff on his personal and ministry social media links by visiting transformingtruth.org. Also, feel free to email Jeff with comments or questions at jeff at maverickmisfit.com. I'll say it again, jeff at maverickmisfit.com. We will talk to you again next week. Peace.